I'll have you know that I had to stop playing Goat Simulator to bring you this. And that is a sacrifice only a true friend would make. You're listening to the College Info Geek Podcast, where it's all about learning more, paying off your student debt, landing your dream job, and being awesome at college. Now, here's your host, Thomas Frank. Hello, and welcome back to the College Info Geek Podcast. I'm Thomas Frank, and this is episode 34. Today, I'm going to be going over a topic that I've been getting a lot of emails about, actually. And that topic is how to win scholarships in college. You might be a high school student or a college student, either way. You probably want to learn how to win scholarships and reduce your debt, which is awesome. Good for you. Awesome goal to have. And to help you get a little bit further in that goal, I'm bringing Shanice Miller onto the show. Now, Shanice is a graduate from the University of Maryland, Baltimore Dental School, and she didn't just graduate debt free. No, she actually ended up graduating with $10,000 in extra money from scholarships she won as a student. So Shanice is an expert in winning scholarships, and she actually has a business where she helps families and students figure out the best places to look for scholarships and how they can make themselves more attractive scholarship candidates. So on this episode, I'm going to pick her brain and hopefully bring you some new strategies that you can use to win some money to put towards your education and graduate with a little less debt and maybe no debt. But first, if you've got questions about college, whether they be on studying and exams and classes or landing internships or jobs or just mastering your money, email me those questions to thomas at collegeinfogeek.com. Every single month, my roommate Martin and I do a Q&A episode on the podcast, so we'll take those questions, answer five of them on the air while we play a video game, and it's a really fun episode where we get some of those questions answered for you. So send those in if you are curious. All right, so let's do the resources of the week before we get into the interview. At the beginning of every episode, I bring you one tool that can make your life better in some way and also a learning resource that can enlighten you. So the tool this week is an app for the iPhone called 3030. And this app combines the to-do list principle with a timer principle, which I really like. So you can essentially create a, a list of tasks that you need to do in a certain work session and then assign each task a time limit. So the app will start the timer on the first task, you'll work on that task, and if you get it done within the time limit, you move on to the next one. And I haven't actually found an Android equivalent of this app, so if you know of one, please let me know. But if you don't have an iPhone or you don't want to use one, there's actually a pretty good paper alternative you can use, which I'm experimenting with this week. So just take a piece of paper, write down everything you need to get done that day, and then put each task into a time slot. And I like to use what's called the fudge ratio, which means that your time estimate initially is probably not going to be the best, so double it or add some buffer onto it because you probably aren't going to be able to get things done within the first estimate that you come up with. Either way, 30-30 or just using paper, it's a really good way to get yourself motivated and to get a lot of tasks done. Now, the learning resource actually ties into the theme of this episode, and you may have heard about it before because it's right at the top of my essential reads for students list which you can find in the show notes for this episode. And it's a book called Debt Free You by Zach Bissonette. And it's probably my all-time favorite college success book. Why? Well, the average student graduates with $30,000 in debt, and you probably don't want to be one of those people. So reading Zach's book, along with listening to this episode, can help you graduate with less debt. So definitely check that out. And lastly, we have the listener tip of the week. Every single week, I want to bring you a tip from a listener on studying better, managing your money, or getting jobs and internships. So if you have a tip, you can tweet that to me at Tom Frankly on Twitter or send it in via email. This week's tip comes from Brian, and he says, do studying right before you go to bed. I found that if I study right before I sleep, I tend to remember things better. Now, I don't know if the science backs this up, but when I was in high school, I usually fell asleep reading my U.S. history book, and I was able to remember most of the things in the test, so it could be something to try out. All right, so that does it for the intro segments. If you'd like to get the show notes for this episode, you can find them over at sigpodcast.com, cigpodcast.com. Find the episode 34 link, and you'll get links to resources we mentioned in this episode. You'll get quotes from the episode, a summary, and you'll find a link to subscribe to the show if you want to get new episodes delivered right when they come out to the device of your choice. So if you would like to subscribe, do that. It also helps the show out. That's all I have to say for the intro. So let's get into this interview with Shanice and learn how to win scholarships. All right, Shanice, welcome to the show. Thanks, Thomas. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to talk to you again. So you actually graduated from college with negative debt, essentially. You actually graduated <laughs> with extra money left over in scholarships that you've won 
And uh, when I heard that story on the Listen Money Matters podcast, I knew I had to have you on because you're an expert at winning scholarships. So tell me your story. What was uh, what was your college uh, experience like, and how did you win all these scholarships to the point where you didn't uh, you had like negative debt? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's so crazy. I guess, you know, in hindsight, when I was going through it, I really wasn't thinking about this. I wasn't thinking about it at all. Actually, you know, if I really want to start from the beginning, I'll start from when I was in high school and people were telling me to um, search for scholarships. And all the places they were telling me to go were all the normal places people tell you to go. FastWeb, scholarships.com. And I was just so confused and overwhelmed by all those places that I didn't do the scholarship thing in the beginning. I actually went and I used the method of hoping, praying, and wishing that I would get a scholarship from the school. Um, even some of the scholarships they told me to apply to from my guidance counselor's office, like the Ron Brown Scholarship, the Gates Millennium, they were so competitive, I didn't even hear anything back from those. So I really thought that maybe it was too much competition. I'm like one in a hundred million people applying for these scholarships. So how am I ever going to win any money so I can pay for college? So. I hoped and I prayed and applied for a couple of schools and waited for their financial aid packages to come through. So come around the springtime of my senior year, my first financial aid award letter comes in and they tell me they were giving me a $20,000 scholarship. Yeah, I was so excited until I went back and I read the fine print and it said that school cost $40,000 a year to attend. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like... Uh, so I, even with a $20,000 scholarship, that school costs more than my school by like three times at least. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, um, $20,000, where am I going to get this from each year? Yeah. Cause, I mean, after the first year, I've seen so many parents, especially parents that I've helped. They would come to me after their first year saying that, you know, they had savings, but now it's all gone. And what are they going to do for the next year and the year after that and the year after that? Because it's really four years of college, not just one year. Mm. So I kind of put that one to the side because I was just like, that wasn't quite what I had in mind. Like the school? (laughs) Well, the financial aid awards. Um, You know, I'm still thinking in terms of money. That was always like my main concern. How am I going to finish up school if I don't have the money to complete it? So... Mm. And my mom had told me student loans wasn't really an option. She wasn't going to sign for them for me. So I had to really think about other things, and I had to think smart. Right. So I waited for the next award letter to come in. And this one, they gave me $15,000 for scholarships. And I was just like, oh, okay, great. $15,000, the first school gave me $20,000. But that school actually cost $20,000 to attend. So I was just like, okay, $5,000 still over the four years. That's $20,000. I still don't know where I'm going to get that from. That wasn't what I was wishing for when I was hoping that I would get that Fulbright scholarship. So finally, a last school came in that I applied to, and they gave me $20,000 for the school that cost $20,000. So So that was a school that I picked because I knew I wasn't going to have to worry about the finances or anything. But I went online, and I tried to accept all my awards, I was able to accept all of them except for one, which was a $4,000 scholarship. And they said since I didn't accept that award online, they looked at it like I didn't want it. So I ended up losing that $4,000 scholarship, and that's when I turned back to private scholarships. Wow. And this time I did it differently. I didn't go to the places where all of my guidance counselors were telling me to go or on FastWeb or anything like that. I really just started asking people exactly where to go, kind of taking a poll, asking them how they found out about the scholarships that they won, asking all my friends, anyone who I can keep my, get my hands on. And before I knew it, I discovered exactly where they were going, how they were going about it and where to find these scholarships. So I started applying to those places and that's when I actually started winning the scholarships. And then I just kept it up. I kept doing it all throughout that first year, through my second year, third year, and even my fourth year, I was still trying to make sure I had enough money for college. So you actually were able to win scholarships as a student? Yes, as a student. As a, as a college student? As a college student. Now, so this is interesting because uh, I did this as well, but listening to uh, some other people, I think that a lot of college students don't know that you can apply for scholarships while you're in college. 
a lot of them don't know at all. They think that after high school, that's it. But in fact, it's not it because a lot of the scholarships don't have an age requirement on them. Some of them will just say that you have to be enrolled in a college or university. Um, a lot of them don't really say that you have to be 18 years old. They, they might say you have to have a minimum age of 15 and be younger than 24 for some of them, but they don't say that you have to be a high school freshman, uh, college freshman or anything like that. So you can definitely still win and apply for scholarships while you're in college. Okay. And, uh, so I guess I'm just curious right now. So say you're like a junior or a senior and uh, you decide to get serious about scholarships, but you've already taken some debt on and then you win a ton randomly. Like, would you be able to take some of that scholarship money to pay off your student loans that you had as a sophomore and a freshman or are they only good for educational expenses? Well, the good thing about the scholarships and when I was finding out all the scholarships and, and doing the whole search thing is that. I started getting more scholarships than what it cost for my tuition and everything that my school co covered. They cut me a check back. And then that check went to kind of like whatever. It was a, a check. So you can do it to whatever you want to do. If you want to go and talk to the financial aid um, people at your college or if you want to call maybe the whatever the process is for student loans. I'm not quite sure because I didn't get any. But <laughs> if mm. you want to call them at, in and ask them if you can send in a payment they probably will allow you to send in a payment so you can put that towards your student loans instead of spending it on maybe clothes or shopping spree or anything like that I mean, that's not what I spent my money on <laughs> but yeah, I knew so many people you know they were getting back student loan refund checks and that's what they were doing with them okay that uh, that sounds like a good idea actually if you were if it was the case that you had uh, gotten more than you actually need for that current year yes very good idea awesome so you um so you ended up winning more than you needed and you didn't have any debt. So actually you just kind of got to keep that money when you graduated. I did. I ended up using it to put a down payment on my first house. Right on. Uh, just, just three months after graduation and I looked at my bank account and I was like, oh, I didn't think I had this much in there. <laughs> but it was from all those refund checks and they added up and I was very happy. Cool. So, yeah, I had the same experience as you where my guidance counselors told me to look on like FastWeb, to look on, I don't even remember the rest of them, like Capex and Zinch. Yeah. And, uh, every single one I applied for, which uh, probably over 50, I never heard back from. No. And I mean, maybe if I had like put a ridiculous amount of work into a bunch of them, maybe one would come back. But uh, all the ones that I ever won were from like the university or companies that sponsor the university or like actual company programs, which uh, ended up being pretty awesome as well. So were all the ones you were all the scholarships you won through your university or did you end up winning some like local business based ones as well? Um, a lot of the scholarships that I won were through the state. So I had a lot of the state um, grants and state scholarships that I had to go after. Like in my state, they had to delegate and senatorial as they do in other states. Um, I also sought after some, and this one was actually, they had it through some of the high schools, but I actually ended up getting it through word of mouth. Okay. So one of the people, actually the person that was the, what do you call it, the foundation owner had saw me when I was working as a, I used to work as a teller at a bank for just like a part-time position during the breaks for college and everything. So she came in, I just did my job and she thought I would be a great candidate for a scholarship fund. Not knowing if I was in school or anything, she just saw me and said, and after, you know, helping her out and everything, she thought I would be a great candidate. So she ended up giving me that information and I saw that that was a local foundation that was in my area. That's awesome. And uh, just one little aside here, I'm going to cut video real quick because I think my connection is kind of bad and it might improve it. Is that okay? Sure. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And I'll edit this part out. Um, so, so we have word of mouth and, uh, what other specific places can students go to start looking for these more local, uh, higher probability of winning scholarships? I would say if you go to, and this is what I always tell my clients, if you really go to the schools, you have to go to your guidance counselors, but you can't just let them give you the BS scholarships. You can't let them tell you go on fast web or any of those places you have to ask them for some of the scholarships that the local foundations have given them. So you, I really tell people, ask them for all of 
the scholarships that they have, resources and connections to, and not just what they think you'll be eligible to apply to. Okay. And uh, also just staying involved in lots of things. It sounds like that's that was a great path for you to win scholarships. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so many of them, and they can come <laughs> from different places. So maybe if you are, say, like you're in, like you like it's the soccer team or something, and then they always have soccer associations, so you can apply there. Or you can ask your soccer coach, or you can ask, like, if you have a certain major or anything like that. They had, for us, I was in a dental hygiene program, so they had dental hygiene scholarships. Um, It was just a lot. But definitely part of it that helped me win so many scholarships was to really make sure that I was keeping up my GPA and my, you know, anything that I was doing, I was making sure I was doing my best. Right. Just because, you know, you want to still reflect that you're going to be a great candidate for success in school and you're going to represent the scholarships well. So you can't really slack off unless you're doing a lot in the community. And then there are other scholarships you can search for um, based on your strengths. But just for the most part, they really do want to make sure that you're going to finish college and you're taking it seriously and you're taking your life and your career seriously. So that's the big thing. Yeah. And I, I think it, it doesn't necessarily uh, mean you have to have perfect grades. No, but if you don't, all. you need to be doing something that can set you apart. There's actually a great article. I think it was called like the superstar effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cal Newport read it, wrote it for Tim Ferriss's blog. And it was talking about a kid who he was like a B student, but he ended up getting into Stanford and winning scholarships because he was part of like a green initiative. And he took a leadership role on that. And he had done so many different things that set him apart from other students. Oh, yes. When I'm talking about grades, I'm not saying you have to get a 4.0 or anything like that. Majority of scholarships want to make sure that you have like at least a 2.5 or 3.0. And that's what I mean, because I see too many students that say they want scholarships, but they're getting 1.6s, maybe like a 1.8. And I'm like, you know, that's the type of scholarship you're going after. The scholarship committee is not necessarily looking at you as you're the best candidate because you're not really putting your best foot forward during these classes for college. Yeah, and they want to see that that you're likely to finish Graduate. and yep. be successful in it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I suppose a 1.6 is probably not going to be a huge confidence booster. Exactly. So, cool. I mean, it doesn't have to be the perfect. You don't have to be the superstar of Valley Victorian. None of those grades. But you, as long as you're showing them that you're trying and you're, you know, trying to do a good job, that's really what it's about. Yeah. And I'll make a note that um, my college, I suppose Iowa State University split into different colleges for different areas like agriculture and business and engineering. And business had like an all in one scholarship application. Mm -hmm. So if you filled that out, then it would go out as an application to all the scholarships that sort of sponsor the business college. Mm -hmm. And through that, I actually won a couple of specific scholarships that I didn't have to apply for directly, which is pretty great. Oh, definitely. So Basically, what you're saying is going through your particular major of study. So I would always tell people to go to like the chair of that department that you're interested in majoring in and ask, asking your professors as well, because all of these people know of little scholarships that sometimes the guidance counselors and the financial aid office don't know about or the career center doesn't know about. Right. So definitely keep in touch with uh, with professors and try to get in touch with the department heads and stuff. They're pretty cool people in my experience. Yes, they are. They try to be really helpful as long as you reach out. That's the big thing is reaching out and then actually applying because I see a lot of people, they think it's a lot of work. But if you really think about how many years you're going to be paying back those student loans, how much work is that actually? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you win it. Yeah. No, I Sometimes I have a problem with like the math as it's presented because a lot of people will say, oh, say you spend 10 hours applying for 10 scholarships and you win one. Well, that was like a thousand dollars an hour or however much it is. And I, I think that's fine, but you need to look at the probability of winning each award. So if you spend 10 hours applying for 10 like Gates scholarships. Oh, and that's exactly why I'm like, no, I, I don't tell anybody <laughs> to go that route. I mean, people always ask me if you want to do that, go by all means, go ahead. You know, the Gates scholarships definitely have a lot more in their criteria than some of the scholarships, the local ones I'm telling people to you know, go after. But if that's the route you want to go, by all means, who am I to stop you? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's what I'll say as well. It's the same view I have on like expensive private colleges. Like there's certainly ways to to get in and to not have to pay very much. But uh, the likelihood is lower. 
Oh, yeah. So, like, you're more probable to win these smaller awards. Um, so let's talk about ways that you can increase your probability of winning scholarships, like specific ways you can make your application more competitive. So, like, what are some common pitfalls that you see students, uh, mistakes students make that can disqualify them from the running or put them at a disadvantage? It's really small things that can really disqualify them and really put them at that disadvantage that you're talking about, such as, like, grammatical errors, spelling errors, um, not filling out everything, or, like, if it requires you to write an essay on a particular topic, write the essay on that particular topic. Don't go and write it on a topic that you want to do or you already have an essay on. That's not following direction. It's really about following direction. Right. I mean, just to simplify it in the easiest terms possible, if you follow the directions, if you do all the things they tell you, like they might say, don't staple it. If you staple it, then you might get your application thrown out. Okay. Or if, yeah, if they say, like, you know, write in blue and black pen, and if you write in a, you use a pencil, then come on. It's, it's simple things that can really get you disqualified. So, you really just want to make sure that you're following all the directions. You're answering the questions that they're asking you. And you're also making a good impression. So that also comes to the point with how you're presenting your application package. So if it's like all folded or wrinkled up or you have kind of like pizza stains on there, they're also going to look at that as representing you rather than if you had like a nice, crisp, clean application that you submitted. Right. So here's a question that I'll take from uh, my days giving out resumes. What do you think about like uh, that linen paper, expensive like linen paper? I really don't think that that's too necessary. You okay. don't have to do anything that's extra than what they asked for. Like as long as you stick to the requirements, you have the, a good shot. Um, right. Linen paper, you know, people are going to say, oh, this seems nice. But it's really about the content that you're putting in there. Um, also, tell your story. That's the biggest thing. Judges want to try and figure out who you are based on your application package. And if you're just giving them kind of like generic things that they see with everyone else, then it's not going to really stand out. It's not going to stick in their minds to, for you to actually win the scholarship money. But when you go and you tell your story of what you did or what experiences you had that led you to, you know, wanting to be in this particular field or led you into wanting to go into this path, that's when they really can resonate with you. And they'll really remember you, your story, and want to award you the scholarship money. Great. So uh, speaking of telling your story, I I've heard a lot of students say, well, I haven't gone through uh, crazy hardships or I haven't done anything super amazing with my life yet. So how do I answer those questions like, what's your greatest weakness or like talk about uh, a challenge you ever came? So what would you say to people who don't really know exactly what to put for those kind of things? It's kind of crazy because I feel like we, almost all of us downplay our lives. We think that we didn't go through anything or we didn't have certain experiences, but you can definitely elaborate on certain experiences that you've had. Like some people have gone and I just spoke to this one lady and her daughter traveled to China. So maybe if you have something that talks about like a weakness or something like that, you can pull on something that might be small, a small weakness to you. And then it can also be a strength as well. Um, you can probably say the same for resume writing when they ask you that question on the interviews. What's your biggest weakness? You don't want to really list something that's a really big weakness. You want to kind of list something that's a weakness that can also be a strength depending on how you flip it. Right. But you so, don't want to say, like, my weakness is working too hard. Exactly. Or being too nice or something like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, nothing that's just bogus or anything, but... If you really think about your experiences, there can be something that you can kind of talk about that would have been a trial because everyone has been through something that has been a hard time for them. Maybe there was a class that you took and it didn't come to you the easiest. So you had to work a little bit harder. Maybe you spent a couple of extra hours each night working on that class um, in and not like some of the other classes. Or maybe there was like a test and you might have failed the first go round. Or if you had experience, and that's when the extracurricular activities and volunteering comes into play because you have so many experiences from going different places, meeting different people. You can talk about their experiences as well and how that's impacted your life. So maybe you can see, you know, someone else's weakness and then that, how that made you stronger. So it just really depends on what the question's asking you. And you just have to, sometimes if you don't have that weakness, you have to be creative. And always, Google is a great tool 
you can search, you know, prior examples of what people wrote for certain scholarship essays to show weaknesses or anything like that. And I can kind of give you some ideas of how to craft it. Great. So uh, here's here's a good question. Um, I think there's a disconnect between, well, I mean, I know there is, between the amount of effort and value you place on your own application versus the amount of value that a scholarship committee member is able to put on your application when they're judging it. So can you give uh, listeners like a picture of just how little time they have to make an impression and what they're up against in terms of like sheer numbers of applications that are coming in? Oh, yes. It really depends on where you're looking. So, of course, if you're trying to apply to the Gates Millennium, it's you against so many others, everyone in the nation. And that's why I'm always telling all of my clients that they need to really hone in on the scholarship search and really search for ones that might only be open to people in your state of residence, because then that's a smaller pool of people. Or if it's people that go to a specific high school, that's an even smaller pool of people. And just think, imagine like of those people that go to your high school, how many people are actually applying for the scholarship and in your state of residence or in your county of residence, how many people are actually applying for that scholarship? It's not that many. Um, You have to really niche it down to you, especially if someone has a disability. They can look for different associations um, that have that disability or in support of that disability and can find scholarships there. And that's when you really can there aren't that many people in the world who might have that same disability. And when I say disability, it can be something slight, like if you have like partial blindness or something. How many people are really thinking about looking for scholarships that have partial blindness? Everyone's looking for scholarships for, you know, like a big pool or the same thing. Right. Academics or there. A lot of times people, truthfully, people aren't necessarily looking for scholarships. You have the big ones that everyone knows about that everyone's applying to in the nation. Come on, that's open to way too many people. And then you have the smaller scholarships that people are like, oh, that's only $1,000. So I'm not even going to really think about applying to that because it's not going to give me as much money. But if you have a lot of $1,000 scholarships that you're winning, that's going to add up to a lot more than a full-ride scholarship that you didn't win. Right. So uh, so I, I look at scholarships as uh, very similar to getting a job almost and that you have to sort of sell yourself. So... Um, I suppose it like ties into this concept of personal branding and making yourself look good. So what can students do to make themselves look better to committees? Are committees looking these people up online or is it just based on the application still? Oh, yeah. We still say cover all your bases um, because they can look you up online. Some even colleges have started to look some of the kids online. I know you've read a lot of the stories and news articles about why they're doing what they're doing, how they're doing this and everything like that. So, I mean, you better be safe than sorry. So just make sure that if you have a page, make it private and have your profile picture that everyone can see as something that's going to represent you well. I guess my rule of thumb is really like if your parents go on there and they see what you're right, what you're posting, are you going to make them proud? And just think twice before posting. I mean, everything doesn't need to be posted, truthfully. Right. What about using those platforms to build a positive image instead of just hiding everything? And you can if you want to. I mean, that's good, too. They can look at that. They can see the things that you're doing. You can use, like, LinkedIn, for example, to list your work history and everything like that. But I really don't think that the scholarship committees are, especially if they have, depending on the type of committee. So I can't speak for one committee because every committee is different. Some committees might look at your social media. Some committees committees might not. Um, same as with the amount of time, some committees might have more time to spend on each one and other committees might just kind of glance through, maybe read your essay to see what you're talking about. And that's your like major point or quickly go through. And really the biggest thing is scholarship committees will go through all the eligibility requirements first to make sure that you meet those. And then if you meet those, then they'll go on to read your essay and they'll make sure that you have everything in your packet that they require, because those are easy ways to just kind of get one person to, I guess, kind of narrow down exactly how many people they have to go through this packet. So if you didn't include your recommendation letters and they asked you to include your recommendation letter, guess what? That's one less packet they have to read and kind of like figure out who's going to be the winner. Okay. So uh, do you have any experiences connecting personally with people who are on scholarship communities or committees? I actually did. Um, I went to this one scholarship and I was there early 
And I happened to be there before the person who, I guess her scheduled time was supposed to be before mine, but she got there late. So since I got there early, they told me they'll just, you know, take me in. And I had already won that scholarship before. So this was kind of like a reapply. They already knew who I was. I was staying in contact with them throughout the year and really doing all the things that they asked me to do in order to renew the scholarship for the next year. So the lady comes in and she's like, excuse me, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm late. Where am I supposed to go? And they're like, you know, ma'am, you were really late and you pretty much missed your turn. So that kind of led to a spinoff of, you know, a lot of questions that they had about why they weren't getting particular um, people that they were looking for to, and they weren't getting a lot of applicants to their scholarship, to their scholarship award. So they were asking me those things, and then I was asking them what they were looking for. So that ended up being a really good dialogue, and then I ended up keeping in touch with them over the next few years after I graduated and everything, just asking them how they're doing and, you know, just really still getting their insight. So that's how I knew that scholarship committees might give one scholarship application to, like, maybe two of their surrounding schools, but every school that it's open to might not have that same scholarship. So you should really go to some of the surrounding schools as well, look for some scholarships. Cool. And have you had any experiences with connecting with people who might be uh, friends with scholarship communities or committees? Sorry. Like, uh, I know personally, I went to a, I went to a conference that a business was putting on like a, prof- a professional leadership conference and it was for freshmen and ended up getting to connect with um, a lot of different people who worked in the company. And because of that, they knew the scholarship committee I eventually applied for. Uh, and I think that helped me win. So do you have any like, experiences with networking with people inside the organization who might not be part of the committee? Well, the person who ended up, you know, I was the bank teller and they gave me that scholarship that I, I would be a good candidate. So she gave me, you know, the kind of the application, but really just the website so it was her business card. Mm. So when I went to the scholarship and I told them that she referred me, I was like, that probably was a boost. But it was still, you know, they weren't part of the scholarship committee. They were just the founders. Okay. And there were other, there were three other people who are really judging and really get, taking the scholarships and making sure to decide who the winners were. So that kind of gave me like a little bit of a boost, but I don't really think it gave me as much of a boost as making sure that my application was in. But of course, whenever you have a connection, networking with people and getting to know them, that really helps. Um, I actually ended up being able to meet and network with the president of the United Negro College Fund, Michael Lomax. Um, we were on the same show together talking about how to go to college without going broke. So that was really interesting, especially since he had been president and helping to kind of fundraise and help students with scholarships for years and years and years. Awesome. Uh, so you, you mentioned that you reapplied for a scholarship and won it a second time. And I actually didn't know this until my senior year that you could reapply and win scholarships multiple times in a row. So how can people do this? You can check the criteria, see if they, some scholarship, it's always checking the criteria. Some scholarships might ask you, okay, these are only open for incoming college freshmen. But then there have there are other scholarships that we talked about earlier that don't have that limitation or that requirement where you only have to be a high school student or going to school. So with those scholarships, you can either, you know, see if they have a section on there that says where you can reapply or you can call the committee up to ask them their protocol for reapplying or renewing the scholarship. Because there are some scholarships on there that say you can renew them. And a lot of students aren't really taking advantage of the renewal process as well because they're not really requiring. You, know, you just got to take that extra step to inquire about it. Um, one, two, I always tell people it's easier once you've already been somewhere and you've already gotten it and getting it again than it is trying to get something for the first time because the people already know you. So like when I was telling you, I got to really talk to the scholarship committee to see what they were looking for. And they were asking me questions about why they weren't getting too many people to apply. That was my second time getting that scholarship. I was going to the interview for the second time to go for the scholarship. And during that second interview, it wasn't like they were interviewing me for the scholarship. It was buddies catching up. So (laughs) it wasn't an interview really at all. It was just like, hey, it was it's great to see you again. I'm so glad. How's college going? You know, we talked about that. Then it's like, oh, the interview's over. You know, we didn't have to answer the same crazy interview questions or, you know, the ones that really get you nervous. It was just really friends having a conversation. So that's always what makes things a lot better. 
Right. And I think it might actually be a good idea if you win a scholarship to take the time out to make a connection with the people who are running it beyond the thank you note. Exactly. Like maybe try to keep them updated on what you're doing, how you're progressing. Exactly. Um, I, had a, I had a scholarship where I had to actually reapply for it. It wasn't like a it wasn't one where you could specifically renew, but you could reapply. And mm-hmm. because I had had enough progress over the past couple of years since I won it, that I ended up winning it again, which blew my mind. But it happened. So when you're staying connected with these people uh, on the committees and everything, um, I think some people might ask, what if, you know, what if you come off as just somebody who's trying to get the award again? Like, I think some people might be afraid that they would be coming off as just wanting to win the award. And uh, how do you ease those fears? Well, if you are connecting with people, you should really come to them from a place of genuine concern and genuine, you know, wanting to talk to them. If you are approaching someone as just wanting to get the scholarship again, it's definitely going to come off like that. So Mm. if you're just kind of connecting with them saying, Hey, you know, of course the thank you note, like you talked about before, a lot of people don't do the thank you note, but that is a big thing that can help you stand out. But going back, um, if you're just really throughout the year, Hey, I just wanted to see how y'all are doing and give you kind of like an update or, you know, you can say, how are you doing? People love when you kind of follow up with them. You're personable with them. They just want to make sure that you're doing well. Maybe you can even give them an update about how college life is and maybe how their how their scholarship has really helped you. So if you do those things and they're looking at it more as appreciation rather than you just trying to get scholarship money again. Yeah, that, that's great advice. Uh, I know I've got friends and people who have said that, you know, they think they're wasting people's time if they reach out. People uh, like that. People yeah, want you to reach out because we all come from a place where we want to have those connections and we want genuine connections, not just people that want us for what we can give them. Right. Yeah. We want to make friends, I think. It's yes. a big thing. We want genuine connections, like you said. So uh, one of the biggest parts of winning scholarships is getting recommendations. So and, and this is this is kind of hard for a lot of people. So uh, what are your tips for finding people to get recommendations and also how do you make it easier on the person that will be recommending you you're just trying to steal all of my tips aren't you (laughs) (laughs) you're trying to have me disclose all of them on this one podcast (laughs) it's not going to work i'm not going to keep on telling you (laughs) okay but really with the recommendation letters you can get a mediocre or average recommendation letter just by walking up to a teacher or so and asking them hey, can you write this recommendation letter for me? And they'll go, sure. And they'll just do it based on what they what they think that you want to write or what they think that they should write to you about. But for you to get the best recommendation letters, you might want to find a professor or a teacher where you've been in their class for probably like half the year. Maybe you've excelled in that class. You've gone to visit them during office hours to maybe ask a couple of questions, maybe a couple times a week or once a week. Um, so that they can really get to know you. And it's the same with when we were talking about talking to the scholarship committees. You want to build those genuine connections with people. Um, starting early, you know, just maybe popping by. It might start off as just, hey, a question that you might have about what you went over. And then you want to just gain some clear clarity to make sure that you understand the concept correctly. It's nothing wrong with that. And the professors will see it as, you know, this person's really interested and they're really trying to do their best in this class. So they'll want to talk to you about certain things. And then some professors will even open up. If you kind of start to look around their office, you can see interesting things depending on the professor. Some people might have like pictures up of their kids. So ask them questions about that. It's all about being genuinely interested in other people and not just always about yourself. I know we're busy. But if you just take off five minutes, it doesn't take that long. Talk to somebody, hear their story. You'll probably have a better appreciation for them, and you'll also learn a lot more things. And then when it comes for you to write for them to write the recommendation letter and for you to ask them, then they'll be more willing, and they'll know you as a person more. They'll see you as a kind person. They'll be able to talk about different characteristics that maybe if you never talked to them or you never stepped out of that comfort zone to even go to ask them that one question, even like I said, even just asking them about their course, that tells you a lot because it shows that you're dedicated and you're willing to put in extra time. So they can talk about those two things about you off the back without even knowing anything else about you and being able to talk about the grades that you get. So I always tell people, you know, if you want to get the best recommendation letters, 
make those connections, you know, try to be, ask the people that you might be around the most or that have seen you in two different areas. So say if your scholarship, and it's always based on the scholarship application. So if your scholarship application is for, and it's based on community service, ask someone who's done a lot of community service with you or that you've done a lot of community service with. Make sure that you're talking to some of the leaders, you're asking them, and you're actually taking some of those positions of leadership. You're helping out. You're going above and beyond because these are things that you should be wanting to do. You're volunteering your time because it's something you want to do, not just something that you have to do. So those leaders will really see it. They'll know that you've been coming there. And then you can ask them for a recommendation letter. And the things that you can do is you can kind of put like a little bullet point list together of certain experiences that you had or maybe even like something that happened during one of the times to kind of refresh their mind of what it is because then you can talk about it in your re your essay they could talk about it in a recommendation letter and those two things will go hand in hand and you won't even you know it'll just all be a cohesive application package okay and do you think it would be a good idea to like give them maybe like a sheet detailing what you'd like to highlight about yourself in the recommendation or is that too forward Oh, that's exactly what I was talking about. When you oh, okay. get like the bullet points, just like a quick sheet with some bullet points, you know, thanks for writing the, agreeing to write this recommendation letter for me. Just to make things easier, this is what the scholarship application is asking me to write about. Or mm. if you want it kind of like more generic, but you want them to focus on one particular area, then you can tell them, okay, this is the area I want you to focus on, like community service. You know, remember that time we did this and this was the outcome. You want them to kind of bring up certain events or certain times to talk about because then that will really help them. They'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember that person. Like, everyone remembers me. If I say my first name on the phone, they'll be like, who? And I'm just like, the debt-free college grad. And they're like, oh, I know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> and that's usually how I, an how I answer my phone and how I talk to people. If I'm calling someone to follow up, I'll say, hey, it's Shanice Miller, debt-free college grad. And they'll be like, oh, okay, I know who this is now. But right. it took me some time to, you know, if they don't have those triggers, then they're not going to know what to write. And you're just you're coming from a place that you're trying to make it easier on them. You're not trying to cheat anybody. You just want to make it as painless and easy as possible. Right. So you're just giving them as much information as they need to write the yes. best recommendation. And they probably appreciate that, too, I'm guessing. They do, because it makes their job a lot easier instead of it's like imagine if you had to write an essay on somebody else. Then you're just like, what do I write about? Yeah. I mean, I've seen this person a lot. I can say certain general things, but at the moment, unless somebody gives you a trigger or something that they can remember you by or something that kind of jogs their memory on what you did together, then that's when they'll really be able to understand and can really write you something that's really good and can tell your story. That's what this whole package is about, telling your story. So right. they can tell your story. You can tell your st story. So you have somebody else that's vouching for you. That's what the recommendation letters are. There's someone else vouching for you, and that will go hand in hand with your essay, which is you vouching for yourself. And the scholarship committees will be like, this is an outstanding, stellar person. Right. I, I remember uh, the first the first assignment in my speech class in sophomore year was we had to talk to a classmate and then give a speech about them, which is <laughs> fine because I talked to them and had all that loaded into short term memory. But I think if I was asked to talk about that classmate now, or maybe even a week later, I wouldn't know what to say. So it's definitely good to have some details from that person. But you know what? It's always about stories because there are some stories that I will never forget. And they're like very small and very interesting. I had this one lady when I was practicing dental hygiene and her daughter wrote on her shoes. So she had these white shoes. She took an ink pen to them and put um, her, the daughter's name is awesome on the mom's shoes. So like right front and center, then I kept seeing her shoes with the door's name is awesome. And every time she came in, I would see those shoes and I was remembering that story. So then one day she came in and she got a new pair of shoes. So in that particular person, I go, hey, you got new shoes <laughs> because I was so used to I heard the story. And that's why we say stories are so powerful. If that person probably would have told you a story that was really interesting to you, you would have remembered it. Just like a lot of people, they'll tell me stories that are really interesting. So I kind of remember them. I remember what they went through or you remember a little part of it and then I'll jog your memory. But if they're just giving you some facts about I volunteer for this place and you're listing, you know, your extracurricular activities, no one remembers that. So tell your story. Right. So this is um, a question I wanted to ask earlier, but it, this is a great lead in for it. 
do you think it'd be a good idea for students to keep a journal? That way they can sort of chronicle the things that happen as they're going through high school and college and then be able to draw upon those stories that were written more fresh uh, when they actually need to do an application. That can always be a a good thing. (laughs) Help you remember or anything like that. I'm I'm never against if you want to do certain things. It's just always about how are you going to organize it? Because I know a lot of the clients, they're always like, how do I get to do things in as least amount of time as possible? So if they were like, okay, I have to go through this journal and then kind of like keep going through, keep going through to figure out when was the time that I did this particular thing or I had this particular experience and I wrote about it. You have to kind of go through the rest of those journal entries. Are they really going to do that or not? So so to me, it's always, are you going to do it? Are you going to be able to keep up with it? And if not, then don't waste your energy doing it. But if you are that person and that will be a great tip for you, then go ahead, by all means, do it. Yeah, I suppose while we're on the subject, uh, I guess the way I would do it is, you know, if I had the willpower to keep up a journaling habit, if there was a day where I was like, okay, this was a great thing that I might want to use in the future on a scholarship application or a job application um, in Evernote, I just put like scholarship in the tags for that note. And then later on in my journal notebook, I could just search for scholarship and all the cool highlights, uh, they would just pop up and be ready for me to use. Hey, that's a great tip. So anyone who wants to do that, definitely use Evernote. I'm not that savvy for Evernote, so <laughs> I'm still doing the hand journaling. <laughs> and you have to go through everything to figure out exactly where did you write this? What did you do that? So that yeah. was exactly what I was thinking about for journaling. But if you have something experienced, put it on your resume because that's what you're going to be kind of referencing anyway. Exactly. So did you did you keep a brag folder? When you were in college, because I know I kept every essay, every self statement, every bio I had to write in an Evernote folder. And then when similar scholarships would come up or job applications or anything, I would just sort of take that and use it as an archetype instead of having to rewrite. See, you are way more organized than I am, too. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like I had some stuff here, there. I probably I knew I sent myself like applications. So I would go in my email and like search scholarship or search delegate or something like a keyword that I knew it would come up as. And I'll be like, oh, okay, here's that essay that I needed. And I'll take that essay and I definitely would reuse it. Okay, great. Well, hey, if uh, if I'm taking too many of your tips here, you can take that one from me for the future. <laughs> Just tell people to use Evernote because it's, it's definitely helped me. So speaking of uh, your business, I'd like to know a little bit more about like what you do to help people and also what your site does. Well, a lot of people come to me because they'll say that um, they are confused with scholarship searching. They've tried doing scholarships.com. They've tried applying to scholarships before in the past, and they haven't heard anything back. So what we really do is we pinpoint the best scholarships that will be for each student's unique needs. So what each student brings to the table, we talk about the strengths that the student has. Because like you said, some people don't think that maybe they had certain experiences, but if you kind of jog their memory, then they'll realize a time where they had a hardship or something like that. Um, Then we kind of go through the whole application recommendation letter interviewing process together. So you get trainings, you learn how to write the best essay so that you can tell your story in the easiest way possible. You learn about how to use one essay for multiple different scholarship applications. You, you, you learn how to prepare for the interviewing process. And we do a Skype interview as well. So it's really getting you prepared for all sections. And so to cut as much of the guesswork and trial and error that you would go through trying to do it on your own. So it's like you really have a guide. I always tell, try to tell people it's like when you go and you get SAT prep. Of course, you can get the book. You can do it on your own. But when you have the guide, you have someone there sitting there helping you do it step by step they're telling you why you got this question wrong and explaining it to you in a a way that you can kind of understand and working with you it's a lot less frustrating and it's a lot easier and faster for you to boost your score so it's the same thing with scholarships a a lot of students don't apply because they're frustrated they tried applying for the past and they didn't quite win so we're kind of relooking and looking at everything that they've done before how you're presenting yourself and how you're putting together the scholarship package so that you can apply to those scholarships and you can find the ones that you will be able to win. Great. And have a lot of students kept in touch with you and let you know what they've won after the fact? After the course, you know, students get into their whole groove. We all have our things that we're doing. So definitely when they win something, I hear about it. We celebrate together. 
but some students, you know, they're just kind of on, they just go off in the way world. <laughs> so they'll say thank you, but you know, you don't, I don't really expect to hear from too many students unless they're like having a big issue and they're like, Hey, can you help me out with this again? And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> like, okay, well then how's your scholarship searching go? Oh, it's been going great. That's why I'm asking you if you can help me out with this again. Okay. <laughs> Awesome. And then the site, is it just a home for your consulting or do you do anything else on there like a blog or anything? Oh, there is a blog on the site um, and it is the home for the consulting. So it's all in one. If you want to get in contact with me, you can on the site. Um, If you want to read the blog, you just want to get some tips on where to find scholarships or you want to get some ideas on the scholarships that are out there. I do talk about that in the blog as well. The site is www.debtfreecollegegrad.com. That's debt, like as in student loan debt, but debtfreecollegegrad.com. Awesome. And is there anybody or any place else on the internet people can go to connect with you, like Twitter or anything like that? I am on Twitter. It's my first name, Shanice, S-H-A-N-I-C-E, last name Miller, and then an underscore because someone took Shanice Miller. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody took Thomas Frank probably like the moment that Twitter was invented. So I had to come up with a pun. So I totally feel (laughs) you. crazy so and then on facebook i'm on there as shanice miller as well awesome well this has been a fantastic conversation i have learned a lot about scholarships even though i've been reading about them a lot so thank you so much for coming on the show i have one last question for you and this is more of a personal one so you can recommend something that might be helpful to the audience or something you've enjoyed but what's a book that you've read recently that you got a lot out of Ooh, i (laughs) love reading so i'm constantly reading books one of the most my most favorites are is the four-hour work week so i know you did mention him before but yes four-hour work week that's one of my favorites and then i also have nine things successful people do differently this is a really quick read but i just love all the stuff that they have in there awesome i haven't heard of that second one and the four-hour work week was definitely a great book it was it was my main motivation for doing what i'm doing actually Oh, so, yeah. And yeah. it keeps you on track, too. And not just if you want to be an entrepreneur or anything, but, you know, if you want to work and have a little bit more free time at work, it helps people that still want to do their career. So Yeah, I, th- I think it's good just to get inspiration for building systems that take a lot of work off of your plate after you set them up. Oh, yes. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I'll be sure to link up those books in the show notes as well. All right. Well, I hope you got some useful info out of that interview with Shanice. If you'd like to get the show notes for this episode and find any links to the books she recommended or other resources, you'll find those over at sigpodcast.com. Once again, find that episode 34 link and you'll find all of that there. If you've got questions, email those in to me and we'll get them answered on Q&A episodes. And if you want to help the show out, if you found it useful to you in some way, the best way you can help the show is go to iTunes, subscribe, and if you really want to be awesome, leave a review and rating on the show. So that's all I have to say for this episode. We will see you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the College Info Geek Podcast. Grow your brain even more at www.collegeinfogeek.com.